Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I am Lee Campbell-Taylor, the interim pastor here, and Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. Before I became a pastor, every Sunday I'd sit in the choir loft and marvel as people who had plenty of other ways to spend their Sunday mornings were nonetheless answering God's call to Sabbath by assembling into a community of faith gathered for worship. And to this day, I find that phenomenon deeply moving. And those of you who worship with us online have added a whole new dimension to my understanding of how the people observe Sabbath. So thank you. Today's texts invite us to ponder what God not only tells us, but also shows us about observing Sabbath. This is the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, starting with verse 10. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there was a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, she was immediately straightened up and she praised God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, do not each of you on the Sabbath day free his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When Jesus said this, all his opponents were put to shame and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the glorious things that Jesus was doing. This too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So it's the Sabbath and Jesus is in a synagogue teaching. We know that at this point in history, a synagogue could be established anywhere that 10 Jewish men decided to institute one. We know that ancient synagogue services were relatively informal, consisting of some prayers, some scripture, what we often call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and also some teaching and receiving donations for the poor. We know that because Jesus is teaching, he is probably seated, the classic posture for a teacher. You'd stand up to read scripture, you would sit down to teach. And we know that despite the the depictions that some of us grew up with, Jesus did not have blonde hair and blue eyes. That is what we know. There's plenty we don't know. Where this synagogue was, 
who all was present for this Sabbath. And an especially key thing that we don't know is what exactly Jesus was teaching about. The author of Luke doesn't say, and none of the other gospel writers even mention this story, which invites us to wonder. I wonder if Jesus was teaching from the book of Isaiah. After all, elsewhere in the gospels, we hear him teach from Isaiah. Maybe Jesus was teaching from Isaiah chapter 58, which we just heard Brent read from. And I will say this, if you want to spend time with important, challenging ideas and stunning imagery, spend time with Isaiah 58. Just listen to this. God will make your bones strong, and you will be like a watered garden. Two completely unrelated images that combine to give you goosebumps. Isaiah continues, you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. What a calling. And if you do read Isaiah 58, check out different translations, because there's this important Hebrew word used in here that's hard to capture in English. The word is nefesh, and it means something along the lines of life or breath or soul or self. It's also this right here. This is your nefesh. Think about how necessary this area is to life. It's vital to breathing, to eating and to drinking. It's crucial in communicating, whether you're speaking or singing. It's structurally critical. I mean, it connects your head to your body, your organs of thinking and seeing and hearing with your limbs of moving and doing. It's also incredibly vulnerable. You can't press on your nefesh without feeling it. In the New Revised Standard Version, Isaiah 58, starting in verse 10, is translated, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places. Like I said, it's beautiful. Well, in that one and a half little verses of text, the word nefesh, life, breath, soul, self, nefesh appears three times. If you offer your nefesh to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted nefesh, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your nefesh in parched places. In God's economy, we give our nefesh, our life, breath, soul, self, to those in need, and we find that we are led by God who satisfies our nefesh. Isaiah then segues immediately to address the Sabbath the day God set aside as holy. If you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests, or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord and ride upon the heights of the earth. So Isaiah 58 expresses God's desire that we share our very self 
with the hungry and the afflicted, and then directly links that with God's desire that we observe the Sabbath by focusing not on our own priorities, but on God's priorities. Basically, the Sabbath observance that God desires is that we worship God by attending to those in need. And that's why I can't help wondering if Jesus might have been teaching on Isaiah 58 as he sat in that unnamed synagogue on that long ago Sabbath day. Teaching by doing Sabbath God's way and thus demonstrating, incarnating the idea that what God prioritizes for God's people is that we live the Sabbath and every day worshiping God by caring for those whom the world has discarded. And to teach that, Jesus goes all out with his favorite teaching tool, the parable. Jesus loves parables, odd little stories that are more than what they seem, odd little stories characterized by extremity and extravagance, odd little stories that feature some surprising twist and reversal designed to disrupt expectations and unsettle us, all of which is just so Jesus. I mean, he is the extremity and extravagance of God's love. He consistently preaches the reversal of human expectations, and his crucifixion and resurrection are the final twists that disrupt the powers of sin and death and unsettle us forever. Right before today's passage, Jesus has been telling parables, and he'll tell parables right after this episode. But here, Luke depicts Jesus enacting a parable, which makes me think he really wants us to get it. So see this. A woman, not merely hunched or stooped, but the word Luke uses connotes bent double folded over so that everything about her life is curtailed. Can you see the extremity of a parable? She noticed, she's noticed by this celebrity rabbi who stops what he's doing in the middle of synagogue service, speaks to her, and with the touch of his healing hands and the sound of his liberating words, he heals her. Do you see the extravagance of a parable? And then, suddenly, instead of staring at the dirt, she's standing tall and praising God. That would be perfect parable reversal. And then, wouldn't you know it, it's the leader of the synagogue who gets the meaning of Sabbath all wrong. That's the twist. And the parable's power to unsettle? Well, it certainly felt in that synagogue and it's also here with us. Do you feel it? I feel unsettled because I can't do what Jesus does. I can't just heal with a touch and a word, which means that if I notice bent over people, as Jesus does, and I risk speaking to them, as Jesus does, if I fully acknowledge that people are bent double by life, well, that's just a lot messier and more difficult than spending the Sabbath just dressing up and coming to church. Because if I fully acknowledge that those discarded people are there, 
Veterans in unfunded hospitals, children in underfunded schools, desperate people in detention centers on our nation's southern border or on the benches outside our front door. If I know that children of God bent double by life are there, and I know that I am to worship God by attending to those in need, then I can't be satisfied with standing here behind the pulpit. As genuinely, tremendously important as our time together in this sanctuary is, I'd be ignoring Isaiah and Luke. I'd be ignoring Jesus if I let myself think that this is all that we're called to do as observers of the Sabbath. As one theologian put it, religious rules and rituals, no matter how sacred, are secondary to addressing human suffering in our midst. No matter how long our prayers, how eloquent our preaching, how large our offerings, if we fail to notice those bent double, if we neglect to ease all that weighs them down, then we, like that synagogue leader, are hypocrites who will ultimately be put to shame. So if you're like me and tend to think, we're here online and in person and it's nice, can't that be our Sabbath? Well, apparently there's more to it. I mean, that just doesn't come anywhere near offering our nefesh, our life, our breath, our soul, our self, to the hungry, or satisfying the needs of the afflicted. And that's why I'm grateful, church, that God is with us in this. Yeah, we're called to do some difficult stuff, but the incarnate God is with us in the effort. And remember, God will make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden Remember, the Lord will guide you continually. And Isaiah says that when we do Sabbath God's way, then you shall take delight in the Lord and ride upon the heights of the earth. And I have some confidence that covenant is not actually here only for the easy stuff. One example for this particular morning, for this rally day, Covenant's Christian education programming for the fall will focus on indigenous peoples and their intersection with Christianity. That means we will explore a fraught history, we'll consider challenging contemporary relationships, and we'll ponder our shared future. And while this topic will certainly speak to our curiosity, I pray it will also draw each of us out of our comfort zone and prompt the nefesh work of understanding and empathy, soul searching, even repentance. Maybe it will inspire us to more fully accept the challenge articulated by Isaiah and enacted by Jesus to live out God's call to observe the Sabbath and every God-given day by worshiping God through attention to those bent double by life. Our progress may be only incremental, and yet, because being together in worship 
is helping to form us as a faith community that is focused on the inbreaking reign of God, we can flourish as a family of faith that strives to be a restorer of streets to live in, a faithful community that dedicates itself to giving its very nefesh to the world that God so loves, a church that seeks to do Sabbath God's way. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.